Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome everyone to episode number 66 from Delving into Islam podcast. This is your host, Wa'il. And it is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a privilege that I'm able to talk to you about the religion of Islam and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is allowing me to share my knowledge with you. Thank you so much for listening and participating and sending in all your questions and suggestions. And speaking of which, if you have any questions or suggestions, please email me at delvingintoislam at gmail.com. Again, delvingintoislam at gmail.com and I will get back to you as soon as possible, inshallah. Now, this podcast is for anyone, whether you are remotely curious about the religion of Islam, or if you are studying Islam for any reason, or if you're thinking about becoming a Muslim, or if you just became a Muslim, or if you are already a Muslim who wants to learn more about Islam, this podcast is for you, inshallah. Now, with that being said, let's get right into today's topic. And today's topic, uh, we will talk about the preparation for the first battle in Islamic history. Now, it's called the Battle of Badr, um, and this is basically the first official battle that the Muslims, you know, had to uh, fight in. And uh, again, this is critical because a lot of people accuse Islam of, oh, Islam became an aggressive religion once Muslims emigrated to Medina, and, you know, they became more powerful, and they started, you know, spreading Islam uh, by force, which we already debunked that many times uh, throughout the you know the the, the podcast and the, you know the many episodes uh, in the podcast. But the thing is, we need to understand certain things about this battle, right? The Battle of Badr. Number one, we need to remind ourselves that Muslims were forced to leave their homes and families from Mecca. Right? The immigrants, the Muhajirin or the Muhajirun, they used to live in Mecca. They're people from Mecca, right? And they were forced to leave everything their money, their families, you know, th- those who couldn't travel, and their homes. And they were kicked out of Mecca. Muslims were persecuted and humiliated and tortured to the furthest extent. Do not forget that, right? And when Muslims wanted to fight back, while they were still in Mecca, Allah did not give them the permission to do so. And commanded, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded them not to respond and not to fight back yet at the time. You have to understand that, right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, now the verses of uh, fighting, al-qital means fighting, has been revealed in the Quran. Now, it's only against the people of Quraysh, not against of every, you know, not not against everyone, you know. Don't go to war with everyone. No, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is commanding the Muslims to go to war with Quraysh to basically take back, you know, their homes. Now, of course, this is not going to happen now. This is going to happen in the conquest of Mecca, but like for now, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is commanding the Muslims, you know, to fight for what they lost. You know, Allah's giving them the permission. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, Kutiba alaykum al-qitali wa huwa kurhun lakum. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Fighting has been written upon you, has been allowed for you, has been permitted to you, and you hate it. Allah is admitting that Muslims hate it. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Hated the fact that they have to go to war. For those who claim that Muslims love violence, right? For those who claim that Muslims love to go to war and love fighting and killing innocent people, Allah in the Quran is saying, وَهُوَ كُرْهٌ لَكُمْ وَهُوَ كُرْهٌ لَكُمْ means you hate fighting. You hate it, basically. You hate to go to war. You hate to go to, you know, to battle with anybody, basically. 
Also, the first verses revealed regarding war were in the chapter of Hajj. Chapter by the name of Hajj, verse number 39 to verse number 41. Go check it out. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says what? إِنَّ لِلْأُذِنَ لِلَّذِينَ يُقَاتِلُونَ بِأَنَّهُمْ ظُلِمُوا وَإِنَّ اللَّهَ عَلَى نَصْرُهُمْ لَقَدِيرٌ Allah saying, I gave permission to those who were treated unjustly, those who were persecuted, those who were tortured. I gave them permission to fight and Allah will make them victorious. So Allah is basically telling us the reason why the battles began, the reason why the war against the pagans, specifically the people of Quraysh, why it started in the first place. Now you have your own country, now you have your own system, now you have your own government, now you have your own city as Muslims, right, in Medina. Now it's time, because you cannot allow oppressors to progress, you know. Plus, Quraysh was not never going to leave Muslims, you know, uh, uh, evolve and increase and uh, develop and all these. They were not going to allow. They wanted to kill the Prophet ﷺ before he left Mecca, you know, so he w- they wouldn't get to the, to the point that Muslims now are, you know, flourishing and, and, and the, the, the Islamic government is getting bigger and wider. They don't want that, so they needed to stop it. So Allah is also has a plan for the mushriks, for the pagans, for those who are technically called the enemies of Allah and His Messenger. And at the same time, they, the Muslims, right, the people from Mecca, they were persecuted. They were treated unjustly and unfairly. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now giving them the time to take back their rights. You know? So it's, it's, it's really, it's literally fight back. It's a fight back. This is not just a fight out of nowhere. They're fighting back the enemy or those who were, you know, basically if they got the chance, they would have killed him, right? And the only reason why, by the way, the people from Quraysh did not kill the Muhajirin is because of lineage, because of tribalism. It's just a matter of honor and a matter of breaking tradition. And they were willing to break that tradition by killing the Prophet ﷺ. We talked about that and assassination attempts that the, you know, people from Quraysh tried uh, against the Prophet ﷺ. You know, and Allah continues. We're talking about still the verses of Hajj. Allah is saying those who were basically kicked out of their homes without a proper right. There's no right for the people of Quraysh to kick out the Muslims out of their homes. The only crime they committed is they said, Allah is our God. Allah is our Lord. This is actually beautiful. Look at this. Allah is saying that Allah pushed people to fight other people. And if Allah didn't do this, earth would have been corrupted, would have been destroyed. Let me give you a live example. You know, like like basically if 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 Hitler, if Hitler and the Nazis were not stopped by war. Think about the world today. Think about it today. You know, sometimes now Muslims don't like, like Allah said in the Quran, right? Muslims don't want to fight. They don't want to go to war. But if war is necessary, then it's necessary. You know, like Allah is basically telling you that if, if Allah did not allow war and Allah did not allow fighting back for your rights, earth would have been completely corrupted. World War II happened to stop corruption, to stop you know a dictator basically who wanted to 
control everywhere. You know, wanted to rule <laughs> all the countries. You know, and God knows what if what could have happened if that was not stopped by war. So war is necessary based on the situation. War is not something that Muslims want to go and 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 you know be part of. Shouldn't be. Any human being, you know, like if you in your nature you want to go to war, then you have a serious mental problems. If you want to just fight, you want to go to war, you want to kill people, whether they're innocent or not, if you just want to murder people, you are not right in your head. You are dangerous and you are not mentally stable and you should see someone seriously. And Allah's telling us this, the Muslims did not, they hated the fact that they had to go to war, but they had to go to war. Because there are oppressors out there who would stop at nothing but to destroy Muslims. And they had to be stopped. Same as Hitler, you know, had to be stopped via war. Do do you call the the allies who, you know, fighting against the Nazis that they were, you know, uh, that they loved violence? Nobody loves to be at war or in the middle of a war or being part of war. Nobody. Unless you have, a again, like a serious mental issues, Right. So we have to remind ourselves that literally Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us that this is something that Muslims did not want to do, but they, you know, had to do it, right? And Allah gave him permission to do it, right? Now, Badr was never meant to be a battle. Badr was never meant to be a battle. Badr actually was, you know, uh, supposed to be, and we'll talk about this. Uh, first of all, Badr is, what is Badr? Why why the Battle of Badr was called Badr, right? Badr is an area that is named after after a well, you know, water well, which was actually dug by someone called Badr. So someone called Badr dug a well in an area, and then this area, the, the well was called Badr based on the guy's name, and then the area as a whole was called Badr. Uh, you know, uh, af- named after that guy who, you know, dug that well. Now, like we said, Quraysh, they they were like a sleeping beast. They were, you know, ready to attack any time, but they were also, you know, indulging like their trades and their economy stuff and whatever. And to cut off supplies from Quraysh, Muslims were targeting one of their largest supply caravan, a caravan that at least contained a thousand camel along with other supplies. That's a big deal. 1,000 camels is like 1,000 cars now, fancy cars even in our time. So now, the reason why is to cut off the supply from Quraysh, number one. Number two, that caravan technically contained the money of all the Muslims who were kicked out because what happened when the Muslims left? People from Quraysh came and take their, took their wealth Right, took took their money and they started investing it and you know doing trades with it. They literally robbed the Muslims from their money. So now the Muslims want to take back their money, fight back for their rights, and at the same time cut off the supply. So it's a, it's a, a strategic tactic, right? It's it's a it's a war tactic. We're gonna cut off the supplies because it's gonna damage them really hard if you you know if the Muslims take over this caravan and at the same time they want to take back their money, right? So the caravan contained and had the wealth of the Muslims who emigrated, the Muhajirin. Now, our Prophet ﷺ started sending multiple spies 
to see where the caravan had reached. So now they're planning on taking over the caravan, to attack the caravan and take uh, all the supplies for these two main reasons, right? Take back their money. It's their rights, right? And uh, uh, cut off the supplies, which is a strategic tactic. Now, also, our Prophet got a permission from Allah. He didn't do this on his own, right? From, from Allah to attack the caravan, but he didn't announce it in public yet because you have to understand, Within Medina, there are still enemies of, of, of Muslims. We have the Jewish tribes who were causing a lot of problems, right? And you have pagans who did not convert to Islam yet, who will become, after Badr actually, he will become the hypocrites. Though, so those two groups could have easily warned Quraysh, could have easily warned Mecca. So the Prophet ﷺ did not announce it in public because of, you know, the hypocrites and the spies and whatever, right? Uh, and instead... Our Prophet ﷺ in his masjid, while he was, you know, giving a sermon, a khutbah, you know, he told the people that they are going on a mission. And whoever has their ride with them right here, right now, should move. Come with me right now. Again, this is very smart of the Prophet wasallam. He, he's not giving people time to, you know, uh, plot or to plan or to go warn someone. He's like, right, we're going on a mission. He didn't say what mission it is. We're going on a mission. Any one of you who has their rides with them, who has, you know, who are ready to go, let's go. You know, it is actually, it, it's even reported that some, some, you know, some of the companions says, oh, Prophet of Allah, we have our rides. They're just, you know, it's going to take us like a, you know, like a good half an hour or like you go 20 minutes, you know, approximately, of course, um, to get them. So we're going to go run, get them and come back. The Prophet said, no. If you have it with you right here by the masjid right now, you come with me. Otherwise, you stay here, which is a very strict tactic, right, by the Prophet and, and a smart planning as well. Now, uh, right after this, uh, those who you know had the rides, they they left with the Prophet and then uh, on the way, as soon as they left Medina, he started explaining to them. You know, that, you know, we're going to a caravan, we're going to take over a caravan, and he literally explained to them on the way. Later on, they camped, uh, and, and they camped, like, you know, outside of Medina, you know, closer to the caravan, and when they did, the Prophet started assessing the men to see how to utilize them. And it shows you how of, you know, how smart leader our Prophet, you know, uh, used to be. So the Muslims were about 315 people around. So now we have a total of 315 people, right? 83 of them from the Muhajirin. 83 from the Muhajirin. 170 from the Khazraj. And 62 from the Aus. That was that was uh, you know that that what was uh, you know reported. Now some some of you might say why 170 from the Khazraj and only 62 from the Aus? Well, for two main reasons. Number one, Khazraj as a tribe was way bigger than the Aus in, in terms of numbers in general. Uh, the second reason is the Khazraj has had way more people uh, converting to Islam than the Aus. So it makes sense, you know. Uh, now, meanwhile, the aunt of the Prophet, ﷺ, her name was Atika bint Abdul Muttalib. Now, we know Abdul Muttalib, uh, you know, is the grandfather of the Prophet. ﷺ. So Atika, or Atika, right, uh, is the aunt of the Prophet, ﷺ, and in Mecca, she lives in Mecca. She's a pagan, and she uh, received the dream while she was asleep. She 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 get she has a dream. She had a dream, 
And then she woke up and she went to Al-Abbas. Now Al-Abbas is the un- another uncle of the Prophet ﷺ and he becomes a Muslim later on, not now. He becomes a Muslim later on. Uh, and she goes to Al-Abbas. So now the uncle and the aunt of the Prophet ﷺ, uh, are talking. And she basically tells him that she had a terrifying dream. So he asks her, what was the dream? And then she basically tells him the story of the dream. And she says that there was a crier who came to Mecca within three days. So like in the dream, she knows, she realizes that within three days, a crier will come to Mecca and he's going to say, oh, traitors, meet your death in three days. So that makes the total now, uh, like them meeting their death, uh, you know, uh, after six days from where she's telling uh, the story, right? So she's telling the story and she's saying in three days, a crier will come. And then when the the, the crier comes, he will say, oh, traitors, meet your death in three days. So that means in six days, something bad is going to happen. That's what Atika is saying. Then she's still, you know, telling uh, the story from the dream. The crier will go to a small mountain and he's going to say the same thing again. Oh, traitors, meet your death in three days. Then he picks a large rock. And he's gonna throw it from on top of that mountain, and then the, that rock will start, you know, will start rolling down uh, the mountain, and then it's gonna start, you know, uh, cracking and breaking into, you know, smaller pieces of the rock, and those smaller rocks will hit every single house in Mecca. So basically, that large rock will crack and it will break into smaller rocks, and all those smaller rocks will hit every single house in Mecca. Now, what is that supposed to mean? Well, that means that every single house in Mecca will suffer death because of what's going to happen in six days. That was the explanation. And actually, that's what's going to happen. You'll see. Like they will suffer a loss of of a family member from whatever is going to happen in six days. Now, uh, you know, uh, Al-Abbas said, oh, this is a terrifying dream. You know, we don't want to bring down the morale of people. So, you know, stop. Uh, don't tell anybody about this dream but then you know ironically he goes and tells people and then you know the rumor spreads and then people start to get terrified and they're like what a weird dream what do you what do you have to say this for and all these things and again it spread a rumor and the rumor became something that everybody's talking about and this is you know the world of gossip and yeah they basically the people of mecca started to get a little bit worried about what the hell is going to happen in in you know in six days now Another uncle of the Prophet ﷺ, Abu Sufyan, who was like a genius in terms of like planning and 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 uh, and you know strategic planning, he was the one in charge of that caravan that the Prophet ﷺ and and the Muslims are after, right? And uh, he was known to be like like I said, a very smart and and, and very you know perceptive. Uh, so on his way now, the caravan they did the trades and whatever, and then the caravan is coming back on the way to Mecca. He found out that the Muslims were spying on the caravan. Actually, the way he found out was very incredible. Uh, uh, and here's the thing: uh, the Muslims, where the Muslims were spying, they, they had the camels, and then they were spying, and then they left. He found the dung of the camel, the 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 the, the feces of the camel, and look at this. Of course, he was like, "This is strange. Why are there like you know? Why were there camels here?" on that spot in that spot right so he literally you know i don't want to gross you out but he literally searched in that dung and he found out the seeds from the dates of medina can you imagine that means the camels were eating dates 
from Medina, and it's it's Medina is known for dates. Mecca's not. So he said, okay, whoever was spying on us, whoever was here was from Medina, and since Muslims now took over Medina, that means Muslims were spying on us. So Abu Sufyan, look how smart he and perceptive he is, right? He was. Abu Sufyan panicked. He got panicked, and he took an unknown route to Mecca. And while he, he's taken, now he, he knows that Muslims are onto him. He's, he's trying to, you know, avoid the main roads. So he, st- he took an unknown route. And then he also sent for reinforcements from Quraysh, from Mecca. He sent someone, one of the fastest, uh, supposedly, riders. He sent, because again, the, 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 the caravan was uh, protected uh, uh, by, um, you know, I think 40 soldiers or something. So one of the soldiers were known to be a fast rider. So he sent him to Mecca to call for reinforcements. And the guy was so fast that he actually got there really quick. He reached Mecca really quick. And the time it took him to get to Mecca was about three days, which was, again, supposed to take way more. Here's the interesting part. That writer, that fast writer, was the crier from Atika's dream. Look, subhanAllah. So Allah gave some sort of vision to a pagan, not because they were blessed, and not because Allah wanted you know them to see the truth, because Allah sending them a warning to freak them out, to put terror in their hearts. After three days, that rider reaches and he starts crying. Oh, people of Mecca. He doesn't say, oh, traitors, of course, because he's one of them. He says, oh, people of Mecca. The Muslims are attacking your caravan. Do something about it. Send your armies to protect it. Now, this was crazy to Atika and Abbas and everybody who heard about the dream, right? Because this sounds very similar to the dream. The whole, the whole scene sounds, you know, very familiar and of course, uh, Mecca gathers and then they send uh, an army to protect the caravan. And, and this army basically was around uh, 1,300 soldiers. So you have 300 Muslims against 1,300 soldiers. Now, Abu Sufyan, you know, on the side of, you know, the caravan side, managed to get the caravan to safety. And once he did, he sent someone to Quraysh to tell them, you know what, hold off the attack. We don't need to go to war. It's fine. The caravan is safe. The Muslims can get it. You know, so go back home. Don't send the army anymore. And if the army is already out, just send them back home. We don't need war. But he is, of course, back to our uh, to the to the one of the worst enemies of the Prophet ﷺ, who is Abu Jahl. Uh, and we know how Abu Jahl hates the Prophet ﷺ and he hates the Muslims. So Abu Jahl actually refused to return. He got so stubborn. And hot-headed, he said, no, we already, you know, gathered the people, we already left Mecca, we just left Mecca, so we're going to go to war. Because he wanted to, you know, end the Muslims, quote-unquote, end the Muslims. So he would stop at nothing. Oh, he just, you know, he got a push, a little push for him to start a war with the Muslims, so let's do it. We're going to go, no matter what. The Muslims didn't get the caravan, I don't care, we're going to still fight them, you know. And then he started convincing the rest of the army to continue marching towards the Muslims. Because, again, people started talking, oh, so since the danger is, is, is now gone, why do we have to go? And in it, w- within this, you know, convincing and meetings that he made with, with the other, you know, tribe leaders, around 300 soldiers chose to return to Mecca. So now, you, you, you have the number dropped from 1,300 to 
around a thousand soldiers who technically refused to return or agreed to keep on going and go to war uh, with Muslims. Now, when the Muslims left Medina, back to the Muslims, we're talking about now three different spots, Mecca, Medina, and the caravan. Now, the caravan, safety, we have no problem with that. Now, the Muslims, uh, we talked about Mecca. Now, they are still insisting on going to war with the Muslims. Now, on the Muslim side, the Muslims didn't know they're going to war. All they thought was they're going to go attack a, a little caravan because, again, what, they have 40 soldiers protecting it. They got to take it really quick, take back their money, cut off the supply, and that's about it. Right? So they had no clue that they're going to war with a full army, a thousand people, you know, more than triple their size, right? But then travelers started spreading. You have Bedouins and people who are traveling for trade started spreading the news that there is an army from Mecca marching to fight the Muslims. So the Muslims heard of that. They were not prepared for that. And this is what Allah is meaning by, You did not want to go to war. And we'll see that in, in, in action right now. So our Prophet ﷺ, while he was asleep, one, you know, one, of, one of the nights, uh, while they're you know, again going to the caravan, he had a dream, and we know that any dream that gets to, to prophets in general is a vision. It's a message from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he had a dream that the Muslims will fight an army from Mecca in a battle. But the dream didn't show when exactly and where. And when he heard the news you know, from the travelers about the army from Mecca, he started asking the Muslims. Now he knows that this is it. This is the army that we're going to face. This is happening very soon. So he kind of, you know, put one and one together and he figured out that this is the war that, you know, he dreamt about. Now he started asking the Muslims. He's trying to test the waters now. What if, you know, uh, instead of attacking the caravan, uh, we meet an enemy who's prepared to fight like an army? Now he's, he's asking them supposedly a rhetorical question, right? And then the Muslims seemed, you know, not ready to fight. They said, oh no, we can't do that. Fighting an army? We, we thought we're just going to be, you know, not even a fight. We're just going to go surround the people who has, you know, who are protecting the caravan. They're going to have, you know, no choice but to surrender. No fight, no bloodshed, nothing. We're going to take the caravan and come back to Medina. Simple, plain and simple. So the Muslims seemed very unprepared to fight, right? And... Uh, they they said no we we can't do this you know and 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 i don't think uh you know we're 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 equipped and we're mentally ready to go to war they were very concerned and this is exactly what allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says you know in the quran a, a, a group of believers uh, hated war and allah gently gently in the quran rebuked them for not trusting in him because now them being afraid of fighting, them hating to fight. When they got the permission from Allah to fight, that means you don't trust in Allah. You don't trust in Allah's victory. Allah promised you victory, but you don't trust in Allah. You know? And then Allah says in the Quran, this is this is all in the verses. Allah says in the Quran, you wanted to take back your money, but Allah has far bigger plans to destroy the disbelievers. It's not about money. It's not about taking back your money. This is way bigger than this. Allah has way bigger plans to destroy the disbelievers and shows who is upon the truth. 
Then Allah promised them at the end of the verse with victory if if they fight. Allah saying, "I'm got. I have bigger plans. You're thinking about money. I'm thinking, you know, long term." To destroy the disbelievers, number one, the enemies of Islam and Allah and the Prophet and to show that you Muslims are upon the truth by giving you victory. Then our Prophet took Abu Bakr and went scouting for information. Now, some people might say, well, why didn't Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provide the information for the Prophet? We talked about this like a hundred times, and I'm going to repeat it again. You have to do the work, even if you are the Prophet of Allah. The Prophet ﷺ had to go scout, have to, had to do humanly stuff. You know, he's about to go to war. He needs to do, he's not going to wait for Allah to reveal everything to him. Allah doesn't work like that. Allah will give you victory like he promised, inshallah. But you have to do the work. Allah will never give you victory in anything. Whether a job interview, whether a test, whether anything, whether any affair, without you doing the work first. You do the work and Allah will provide victory, inshallah. And you ask Allah, of course, you have to make dua for Allah to provide victory. And we're going to see that also in the Battle of Badr. You know? So the Prophet took Abu Bakr because he trusts Abu Bakr. And only two of them, they went scouting for information. And they met a Bedouin. You know, Bedouin are those who are, you know, travel in the desert. And people who basically live in the desert, right? And they do trades and stuff in the desert. And Bedouins are known to be frequent travelers. That means they have information, right? They have, the, they need this information, to survive, you know, to avoid conflicts and, you know, to, to have it as leverage, you know, to do certain deals with, you know, certain tribes. Then the Prophet asked the Bedouin, hey, now the Prophet does not want to reveal that he is from the Muslims because he doesn't want to show that he, you know, he he's one of the size of the conflict. He's just trying to show the Bedouin that he is neutral. So he asked the Bedouin, "Hey, do you do you know any? Do you have any information about this army from Mecca that they're talking about, or any information about this army of Muhammad that they're talking about?" So basically, the Prophet is making it look like he is neutral. So the Bedouin asks, "And who are you?" <laughs> Very straight to the point question. Okay, you're asking me for information. Who are you first? I want to know who 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 am I talking to. So the Prophet and, and look at the beauty of, of the eloquency of the Prophet He said what? I will tell you where I'm from once you answer the question. So the Bedouin was like, okay, he's willing to answer the question. No problem. I'll give him, you know, the Bedouin knew that if if uh, if the Prophet was willing to answer then, there's no problem. He He's not one of the any, you know, one of the sides or one of the two conflicts, basically. So the Bedouin says, well, uh, as for Muhammad and his army, they left Medina. What we know of that they left Medina with like around, you know, a small group of soldiers of, of men, like 300. And he was accurate, right? He's on, on the point, on point. And uh, they probably, if they left Medina on that day that we, you know, heard of, that means they are camped or they are staying in that spot by now. And the guy was, you know, dead on the money, like they say. He was absolutely accurate. Now, the guy says, as for the army of Mecca, they left Mecca on that such, such day. Uh, and then they probably passed by this point. We saw people passing by this point. And then if that's the case, they will reach this spot or they will reach Badr by that day. And of course, if the guy was very accurate about uh, the Prophet and, and, his, and the Muslims, that means he's also very accurate about, you know, uh, the army from Mecca, the army from Quraysh. 
Now, the guy, the, the Bedouin tells the Prophet ﷺ what he wants to know. So he asks him, now you answer my question. So the Prophet ﷺ says, Ana min ma. I am from water. And the Prophet ﷺ leaves. Now the guy <laughs> stood there scratching his head. He goes, what, Matt? Is this Matt, the city of Matt in, 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 in you know, I think in, in Iraq or Hijaz? Like, I, I don't know. Like, what did he mean from Matt? Like, is this a city? Do I, not, do I not know what city is this? But Matt in Arabic means water. And if you think about it, we are all from water. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, we created everything from water. So when the Prophet says, I'm from water, he's not lying. And this is something called tawriya in Arabic. Tawriya means double meaning. Now, if you don't want to lie, you say a word, you, you, you make a statement. Somebody ask, is asking you a question and you do not want to lie, but you don't want to tell them the truth either, right? So you, you do something called tawriya in Arabic or, or you know, a, a double meaning. So, for example, let me give you an, a live example. And this might be a funny example because I did it before with my wife. So, for, for example, I remember one time my wife... Uh, asked me, um, I was supposed to make dinner that day and she was at work and she was going to be late at work. So she asked me if I can make dinner. And I said, of course I will do it. But then I got busy at work and uh, I know I couldn't make dinner on time. So she calls me on her way home and she's asking, hey, did you make dinner? And I know this was going to upset her if I said no. So I said, yeah, I prepared uh, prepared dinner. She said, oh, great. Sounds great. And then as soon as she hung up, I started running and started making food. Now, what I meant by I prepared dinner is that I prepared, and I was not lying about that, I did actually prepare the ingredients. I had, you know, whatever the chicken we were going to have, I put everything, you know, on the kitchen counter, and I was ready to start cooking, I just didn't cook yet. So what she meant is, did you cook dinner? And I said, I prepared dinner, right? And what I meant, I prepared dinner is that I put everything in place, but I didn't start cooking yet. And this is called tawriya. I did not lie. But I didn't say that exact truth either. And this is something it's okay if you do it, but you can't keep doing it a lot. You can't do it. As a Muslim, you cannot do tawriya or you cannot do the double meaning a lot because it becomes eventually a lie. You got to keep doing tawriya and everything and it will become a lie and this becomes a sin in Islam. Right? But it's 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 allowed. Tawriya is allowed in certain situations when you, for example, my situation, you're trying to avoid, you know, conflict, you know, with, with the wife. So you try to do this to, you know, save the day and, and, and save uh, uh, an argument and then a battle of argument. Uh, but it's not recommended to do it all the time, right? So that's what a Tawriya So the Prophet said, yeah, uh, I'm from water. And he walked away. And the man is like, Scra-. and 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 the man didn't ask any further questions. Like, hey, 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 what do you mean? He didn't say that. He's like, oh, he's probably meant because there was like there were towns and cities that are called Matt, right? The city of Matt. Matt in Arabic, like I said, is water. Now the Prophet ﷺ went back and he started praying to Allah. That's exactly what I mean here. He still has to make du'a to Allah. He still has to make du'a to Allah. Allah promised in the Quran that they will be victorious, but that doesn't mean you don't make du'a to Allah. Because you never know. You never know. Allah wants you to make dua to him to provoke. Because Allah, when he said, oh, you're going to be victorious, but you have to do the work. And the work is, you scout, you go, you fight, and you make dua. And while the Prophet ﷺ was praying and making dua to Allah, 
the companions captured some labor workers from Quraysh. People who, you know, pr- serve food and, and, you know, cook and do stuff. Labor workers. They're not actually soldiers, right? And they started asking them. The, now, the Prophet while he's praying, he can hear the conversation, but he can't be part of it because he's praying. So they start asking them. The Muslims are asking the labor workers, where did you come from? You know, are you? And then they, they responded, we are from with where with the army of Mecca, where the you know with the army of Quraysh. Then the companions did not want to believe it. Look, look here's this is very interesting. The companions were in, in like some sort of disbelief. They did not want to believe that they are about to go to war with a full army, a thousand men, triple their size, triple the numbers. They don't. They 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 were like no 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 no. You are with the caravan. You're from the people, from the 40 people of the caravan. You're right. You are from the, we captured you, but you are from the caravan. You're not with, there's no army. You're not with any army. It's as if they didn't want to hear the truth. But then the the, the labor workers insisted, no, we are, there's a whole army around, you know. Now, they didn't know the numbers. And this is critical. I'll tell you why. But they did not know how many. They didn't count the people, but we're like, no, it was an army that left from Mecca and coming this way. So they started beating them. Now, not torturing them. They were just like beating them, you know, like, you know, punching them and whatever, beating them. And they say, no, you are not with the army. So, you know, when the workers felt like they were getting beaten for saying we're the army, they said, okay, we are with the caravan. Whatever you want to hear, man. <laughs> you know, like they just want to save, the, save themselves. So the Muslims stopped beating them. Then later on, now, this is all this time. The, look at this, subhanAllah. The Prophet is praying all that time. This whole During this whole entire interrogation, which probably took hours or like an hour, the Prophet is just in, 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 you know praying, praying, making dua, praying. He's not stopping praying, right? Then later on, they ask, hey, you're with the caravan? And then you know the labor workers forget. There's like, no, the army. And then they start beating them again. No, there's no army. You're not with the army. And then they said, okay, 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 sorry, sorry, we're from the caravan or whatever. So they keep doing this, right? Going back and forth. And then as soon as the Prophet ﷺ finishes praying, he gets mad. Number one, he gets mad at, at, at the companions, at the Muslims. Like, why are you beating them? They're labor workers, right? That's number one. He rebukes them. And then he said, this is in a very profound, uh, you know, uh, phrase. He says, when they say the truth, you beat them. And when they lie, you let them go. So they're telling you the truth. They're saying we're with the army. But you don't want to hear it, so you beat them. And then when they say the truth, I mean, and when they lie, when they say, oh, we're with the caravan, and they're clearly lying to save themselves, you let them go. Like, come on, really? You know, this is what the Prophet is basically telling them. And... When the Prophet told them this, it's as if it hit them for the first time that this is real now. We are going against the full army. You know? And they started, you know, collecting themselves. They were in, in shock. You know, like they just sat down and they started, you know, getting all this synced in and they're trying to, you know, understand and believe what's about to happen. Then the Prophet ﷺ, look at the difference now in, in terms of interrogation, quote-unquote interrogation. The Prophet ﷺ approached the labor workers, and then he asked them, how many men did you see in their army? And the workers said, we don't know. We didn't count the number of people we were serving, so we don't know. And then, okay, they're not part of the army. You have to understand, they, they just cook, you know, they slaughter, 
whatever animals to cook on, whatever. That's all their jobs. So then the Prophet look at this. So he asked them, how many camels do you guys slaughter for them per day? Now, because again, now, because again, they, they have been with uh, the army for a few days since they left Mecca. So the Prophet is like on an average, on an average, you know, on every day, how many camels do you slaughter for them? So they said around nine, from nine to 10 camels a day. So they could eat from it. Now, you have to understand back in the day, the, the Arab, in, in the Arab Peninsula, camels were the main source of food. The, the meat is delicious and all these things, right? So our Prophet said right away, he said, okay, then they are between 900 to 1,000 soldiers. Why? Because the Prophet knew exactly that every one camel feeds 100 people. So he did the math and he said they're around hundred uh, nine hundred to a one thousand soldiers. Now, while the companions were worried because again they didn't want to fight, Allah explicitly says this in the Quran, our Prophet was calm and happy because he knew that Allah had the best plans for them. And that's the attitude. Now, that doesn't mean that the the Muslims were bad. You know, we're allowed to make mistakes. Our, our, you know, we said that our faith is allowed to be dropped a little bit, but you have to boost it back up. That's the definition of Iman, by the way. The definition of faith of Iman is, you know, you believe in Allah, in your heart, your tongue, your actions, and this belief could increase and decrease. You know, it could increase and it could decrease, but whenever, whenever it decreases, you have to make it increase again. You have to boost it back up again to make it increase, Right? Then uh, uh, our Prophet Sallallahu uh, you know, uh, stood in, 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 now he's trying to raise the morale of the troops, of the Muslims, right? So he's, st- he's standing in, in, in the plains of Badr, now they're camped there. And then he literally points at, every, at multiple locations while saying, this person, you know, will die here. Walid ibn Mughira will die here. This guy will die here. Abu Jahl will die here. This will die here. Like he literally points at certain locations and certain spots and is telling the Muslims, this person, that leader in, in Mecca will die here. That leader, the other leader of that tribe in Mecca will die here. That leader will die here. That, And of course, this was revealed to him by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And of course, after the battle of Badr, every single person, the person, the, the Prophet you know, said that they will die at a specific location. They found them dead at that specific location. SubhanAllah. Incredible. Now, the battle is approaching, right? So the Prophet gathers all the companions and he asks them this, what should we do? Now he's asking for advice. He's asking for ideas. Now, you have to understand that the Prophet ﷺ does not need consultation from the companions because he's the messenger of Allah and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala basically gives him, you know, as much as he needs to go to battle. But he's demonstrating to us, to all the leaders of the Muslim leaders, how to lead by seeking consultation from, you know, the people around you. Now, Abu Bakr and Umar, they both stood up and they said, we are with you no matter what. O Prophet of Allah. And of course, you know, the closest people to him. And then our Prophet you know, nodded and he said, okay, what should we do now? Again, same question. So another one from the, you know, the companions, specifically the Muhajireen, the, the immigrants, stood up and he said, do as what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded you to do and we are right behind you. 
And then he, he made a beautiful comparison. He said, we will never say like the Jews said to Moses, you and your Lord go fight and we will sit right here. Now, let me give you a little bit of a, of a background story about this. So when the children of Israel were going to meet the giants, this is actually a story mentioned in, in the Bible too. And it's mentioned in our book in the Quran. And, and I know, and of course, with different uh, twists. Uh, so the Jews, basically, the, the the children of Israel, were about to meet the giants. So they got scared. They said, "We don't want to meet the giants. This is a crazy enemy that we don't want to be with." So they looked at Moses and they said, "Hey Moses, you and your Lord, you go fight, and we'll just sit here." Idhab anta wa faqatila inna huna qaidun. This is in the Quran. You and your Lord go fight, and we're just we're gonna wait for you until you're done. So the, the companion is telling the Prophet ﷺ, don't worry, O Prophet of Allah, we're not going to say this ever to you. We're not going to say, oh, you and your Lord go fight and we'll sit here. We're going to say, rather we'll say, you and your Lord go fight and we will fight right behind you. And that's the attitude of a Muslim, of a believer. SubhanAllah, very beautiful. So the Prophet ﷺ, you know, got happy and you know, he got uh, his face lit up a little bit. But then even after this, he said, so what do you think we should do a third time? Something is up. Why the Prophet keeps repeating this? And the reason why is because everyone who spoke and supported the Prophet was from the immigrants, from the Muhajireen, from Quraysh. But the Ansar, the supporters of Medina, they were quiet. And even they themselves started to realize the Prophet keeps you know, saying this, oh, I think he means us. So Sa'd ibn Mu'adh, the leader of the Ansar, the leader of the supporters of Medina, his name is Sa'd ibn Mu'adh. Now, here's a beautiful thing about Sa'd ibn Mu'adh. And this is one of the most incredible stories. There's an authentic hadith by the Prophet ﷺ talking about Sa'd ibn Mu'adh. And basically the Prophet ﷺ says, the throne of Allah shook for the death of Sa'd ibn Mu'adh. What? Yes. The throne of Allah physically, this is not a metaphoric uh, statement. This is physically, realistically shook for the death. When Sa'd ibn Mu'adh later on died, he died as a martyr. The throne of Allah shook from the happiness that Allah is about to receive back the soul of Sa'd ibn Mu'adh. That's how, how much of a believer he was. He was so righteous, so pious, that the throne of Allah, this is an unauthentic hadith, by the way. There's no debate about this hadith. Shook. And of course, some might say, well, why didn't shake for the Prophet himself? The Prophet is on a different level. Now, every single believer, every single companion had a specific perk just for them and not for anybody else based on their level of faith. Sa'd ibn Mu'adh had the throne of Allah shaking from happiness. It was from happiness that Allah is about to take back that soul until the day of judgment, of course. You know, because how righteous and beautiful his soul was in this dunya, in this life. Now, for example, another perk for Umar ibn al-Khattab one of my favorite and most you know, iconic uh, companions, Umar ibn al-Khattab. One of the perks Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala given to him is what? Whenever he walked in a street, 
the shaitan, the devil walks from a different street or flies, whatever. However, however, the you know the jinn or the shayateen travel, they just take a different route. Because to them, Umar ibn Khattab is extremely scary because of how much of a believer he is or he was. Can you imagine shaitan, the devil takes a different route? If literally the devil is flying around in a street, and they do physically fly around, we just don't see them, right? And Umar ibn Khattab is walking. Used to walk from that street, the devil will take a different route. No, 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 no. I don't want to take the same route. I don't want to meet him in that street. Even though Umar al-Khattab doesn't see them. He didn't see them. You know? That perk was not for the Prophet That doesn't mean that Umar al-Khattab is better. That doesn't mean Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh is better. Absolutely not. It's the opposite. The Prophet is the best of mankind. He is the best human being ever created. This is Allah saying this in the Quran. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala given certain perks to those believers based on their belief, which is fine. This is great, actually. This is such a boosting you know, uh, thing to know about, to know that there are people who are so high in iman, in faith, uh, you know, other than the prophets and the messengers. Great boost. They were just knowing all of them are human beings, right? Why can't we be? Now, I'm not saying we can't get to that level, but we can try. Those should be our role models, not anybody else, not celebrities, not today's celebrities, not politicians. Those, the companions, should be our role models. So back to Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh. So Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh was, you know, the leader of, of the Ansar at the time. So he stood up when he found that the Prophet kept saying, what should we do next or what should we do? So he stood up and he kind of got the message and he said, uh, perhaps... O Prophet of Allah, you are waiting for our response, you know, as the Ansar. And the Prophet shook his head and he said, yes, I do. I need to hear from you. So Sa'ad ibn Mu'az, and this was beautiful response. He said, we believed in you and testified that you are the messenger of Allah and testified that you came with the truth. So go on. So now you go and fulfill Allah's commands and we will be right there with you. And if you would take us into the ocean, by the way, the Ansar did not know how to, any, any, the Ansar and the Muhajirin, they don't know how to swim. They've never been in a coastal city before. They don't know how to swim. They, they live in the desert. So basically he's saying, and if you take us into the ocean, we will go right behind you. Basically, we're going to give our lives for you. Just lead the way and we're right behind you. And to that, the Prophet was extremely happy because now he has the full support of the Ansar as well. And uh, basically, uh, that mean that concluded the preparation of uh, you know of the Battle of Badr. Uh, inshallah, next episode we will discuss the actual battle, and we will see how the plan was you know uh, put in, in in place, and we will derive many wisdoms from uh, from the first battle that you know the Muslims uh, will be part of. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.